0: Hi. My name is Michael Warren. I'd like to give you some background on one of my best friends. I call him my brother from another mother. Your host, Jed Hughes. Jed climbed up the football coaching ranks working for and alongside seven Hall of Fame coaches, including Chuck Knoll, Bud Grant, Tony Dungy, and Bo Schembechler, just to name a few. Now, I met Jed at my alma mater, UCLA, where I was an All-American basketball player and two-time captain for a couple of Coach John Wooden's championship teams. While Jed was a great defensive coordinator at UCLA, recruiting a historic class, I was a cast member on the emmy Honor television series, Hill Street Blues. Jed somehow creatively involved me in his recruiting pitch, and that turned out to be a lot of fun. After a great stint at UCLA, Jed worked in the NFL for the Minnesota Vikings, Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Cleveland Browns. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Jed holds a master's degree from the University of Stanford and a Ph.D. from the University of Michigan and has led the sports consulting practice for two global executive search firms, Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Yuzuri, and four of the five power conference commissioners along with many athletic directors and C-Suite executives across the industry. I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes podcast. Through this podcast series, Jed will dive into what makes leaders, coaches, and executives great, and what separates the Hall of Famers from the rest. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Welcome to the Jed Hughes Podcast. (laughs)
1: Mark Murphy, who is the current president and CEO of the Green Bay Packers, is believed to be the only person to earn a Super Bowl ring as a player in 1982 as the team captain and as the chief executive officer of the Green Bay Packers in 2010. In addition, Mark serves on the NFL Management Council Executive Committee, Competition Committee, College Relations Committee and Player Safety Health Advisory Panel and Health and Safety Committees. He combined 16 years as Director of Athletics at Northwestern and Colgate University and enjoyed eight years of playing for the Washington Redskins. We welcome Mark Murphy. Welcome, friends. Mark uh, thanks for joining us today.
2: My pleasure, uh, Jed.
1: You have this genuine, sincere, straightforward approach to every person you meet. It's remarkable in, in in the world of sports and in business. Was it your parents? Was it Buffalo? Your DNA? I mean, how did how did this genuine, sincere personality emerge as your leadership style?
2: Well. Well, first of all, thank you. I, I, don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's just kind of my personality. Um, I never really was uh, you know, a star, or certainly, certainly wasn't coming into the NFL as an undrafted free agent, and uh, so I, I've never really felt that I was entitled to anything. I've no matter how how talented you are, um, you still need to earn your uh, your right. Whatever, whatever career, whatever job. Um, and, you know, and it's all about putting the effort and the time in and working at it. But I think a lot of it is, and, you know, I'm actually, I've been, uh, I, sh- I should say this, I was very fortunate, you know, my career, I played with some unbelievable coaches and they, they really, you know, they really shaped, uh, how I view leadership. You know, I'd say particularly, you know, one's probably, one's probably somebody's nobody, nobody's ever heard of is a man named Fred Dunlop. Who was uh, the head coach? Just he only coached me for one year uh, at Colgate, but uh, I succeeded him as athletic director there, and he's been a real mentor for me. And then I was for I only played one year for George Allen, but boy, I learned an awful lot in one year from from him. And then, and then of course, you know, uh, being able to play for Joe Gibbs and be there when he came in and uh, really established his program was really uh, invaluable for me.
1: How did you get into sports in the first place?
2: You know, it's a a good question. Uh, I did, I grew up around it a little bit. My grandfather was an athletic director and a baseball coach for almost 40 years uh, at a small school in upstate New York called Clarkson, Clarkson University. Now it was Clarkson College. So I had a lot of exposure to it, uh, been around athletics. You know, and, and I enjoyed, I, I was, you know, in high school, I played football, basketball, baseball, actually played football, basketball, baseball in college too. So I, I, I loved participating in athletics and enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, was fortunate enough, you know, I had a chance to also sign a major league baseball contract. What I position? I was an outfielder. I, I don't know if I could hit the curveball very well, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know the problem with baseball is you know at, uh, at Colgate, you know the the weather in the spring was not conducive to a lot of baseball games, so right? right. I didn't didn't get didn't have a lot of games there, uh, and was afraid. That we'd spend a lot of time in the minor leagues, and whereas with with football, you, you know you, you really find out right away that you're you're on the team or not. It's a little different now with the practice squad and some of the other things, but. Yeah, did I ever tell you the story? I, I think I told you the story of uh, how George Allen hit me out. No, no, no. <laughs> so, no. I just I, I wouldn't bore you with it, but yeah, no, no, this would be good. So, so George Allen, he he uh, he, he didn't
0: he like worried. rookies.
2: He no. didn't like rookies, and he traded almost all his draft picks. That was what he was kind of famous for. So he had to be very creative in uh, terms of being able to attract players and sign uh, sign rookies. So uh nineteen seventy seven, I didn't know, you know, whether I was gonna be drafted. It wasn't like it is now. You really had no idea. There wasn't a combine. So the first day of the draft I got a call and it's George Allen and he said, Mark, we really like you. We wanna we're gonna set you up with an airline ticket, we're gonna fly you down, we're gonna have a press conference and we're intending to draft you. Well, I'll make a long story short, they had no intention of drafting me, uh, and they just hit me out and <laughs> So I ended up where where'd they put you. They put me up in the Marriott Hotel out by Dallas Airport. Oh, yeah. Okay. And there were about four or five other people in the same situation. Actually, uh, uh, a man named Nate Torin, uh, who he and I played against each other. Uh, Rutgers and Colgate were big rivals back then. And uh, we were both <laughs> hit out. So I got up the next morning, second day of the draft, and I thought, well, certainly I'm going to be drafted today. And we, George Allen told me, "We'll find the in. So um, they put us in like in a van, and they and Dallas Airport. It's like 45 minutes down in Washington D.C. They we drove all the way into the city. They gave us a tour of the city. We stopped and had lunch. Now they didn't have cell phones then, so the driver the driver kept getting out of the car and going into the phone booths and making calls. Right. right. So finally, about four in the afternoon, we pull into Redskins Park, which is out by, uh, out by uh, Dallas airport and uh, uh, George Allen George pulls me into my office he said, "Mark, uh, the draft just ended. you weren't drafted. Here's a contract. Why don't you uh, take a minute, read through it, and sign it?" So, <laughs> Jeez. so, so I called back to my uh, apartment, and uh, my my girlfriend, who's my wife now. Uh, she said, what the heck? Where, what are you doing? Where have you been? I said, what do you mean? She said, we've been calling the hotel, and the hotel was given instructions to uh, say that there was no Mark staying <laughs> there. So there were a number of other teams that were uh, interested in signing me, but nobody could get in touch with me. So I finally I talked to a couple other teams, but uh, ended up signing with the Redskins. Interestingly, they were the only team that wanted me to play safety. Every other team. There was a great player around that era named uh, Brad Van Pelt. Sure. He was a safety in college, and they, the Giants had changed him, switched him to linebacker. And they, they wanted to do something similar with me. I wasn't very comfortable um, with that change. I, I felt that safety was my best position. So, uh, Although I wasn't really pleased with uh, what the Redskins did, uh, they did at least show that they were interested in you know, that, that is That, that is <laughs> one heck of a story. I, I well, can't remember. That was remember my, that was my welcome to the NFL moment, and uh, after that occurred, uh, they prohibited flying anybody in <laughs> uh, before the before they had been drafted. So uh, you'll never see that happen again.
1: Well, you were part of a, a new rule. Yeah, a new rule. And, I, and listen, I can remember coaching from the Steelers when you were playing safety, you came up and hit or running back, and you and you hit, I mean you you lit them up. And you came up and you had this big, huge Irish smile on your face as you looked up. I mean, you played at this high level of intensity at that position. And you got named captain. How many years were you captain?
2: Uh, I think I was captain my last five years. So I played eight years and I started six six years. My first two years, I was a mostly a special teams player.
1: So you're a vintage player, like when I was coaching you had to do something in the off season, and and you worked on getting an MBA. I guess you were working. You decided to get an MBA from American when you were playing.
2: Yeah, exactly. So my first off season uh, worked uh, actually for a brokerage firm. Uh, enjoyed that experience, and then uh, my second off season started uh, my my MBA at American University. Ended up taking taking me, um, I think about well, I well, I only went in the off seasons. I would. I think I could take one course in the summer. Actually, one year I I think I took a, a an evening course in the fall. So it took me about three and a half years. But uh, yeah, I just figured, you know, and the off seasons are were different. Then you really didn't. There wasn't a huge commitment in the off season. And and as you said, I, I mean, a lot of my teammates had jobs and uh, and worked and did different things.
1: Well, the money wasn't nearly what it is today. I mean, well, yeah, to I know. I mean, job. my rookie
2: year, I made 21000 jet. Jed. I, I needed. <laughs> you needed a second job. I needed to work to to get through the offseason. You also became player rep. Talk a little bit about that. I'd kind of grown up around labor relations. My father was the uh, director of labor relations for a, a steel company, Roblin Steel, in uh, uh, the Buffalo, New York area. And I always had an interest in it. and uh, you know, so that that really kind of spurred, uh, well, <laughs> spurred my interest in becoming the player rep. We used to joke uh, that uh, being a player rep is kind of like smoking; it's dangerous for your health. <laughs> and you know, back then, I mean, if you got involved with the union, you were viewed as a radical, and uh, usually your career was cut a little short. But you know, as I look back on it, uh, boy, what a great experience it was for me. I I learned so much and. Uh, actually, you know, one of the, uh, and this is an invaluable lesson for me, one of the the best contacts I made. um, So, you know, this was, I was a player rep, and we we had negotiations in 1982. um, One of the lead negotiators for management was a young attorney who happened to be a a Redskins fan. And uh, his name was Paul (laughs) Taglibu. And uh, so Paul and I, kind of struck up a friendship and obviously, you know, with his connection with uh, being a Redskin season ticket holder. Um, and he, he and I kept in touch over the years. And then when he became commissioner, I had, had become, at that time, I was, I believe the athletic director at Colgate, and he got me back involved with the NFL. Uh, he put together a player advisory committee, uh, also got me involved in the, what eventually became USA football and the, um, yeah, the youth football fund. So um, yeah, that, that, you know, even though we were on the opposite side of the table, um, you know, he and I, you know, really respected each other's positions. And uh, the good lesson for me that, you know, don't burn bridges, you know, you never, uh, you never know. And, and obviously now, you know, in my position, I'm negotiating, I'm negotiating <laughs> against the, or with, the, with the players. So it's uh, life really kind of full circle
1: as you mentioned i joined the league coaching with the vikings in 82 and we had a strike and i think if i'm not wrong that that next year you find
2: yourself unemployed uh well a couple years so um yeah in 82 uh redskins won the super bowl yes 83 was probably my best year um was i was first team all pro was in the pro bowl led the league in interceptions The very next year, um, second game of the season against the 49ers, I sprained ligament in my knee. And uh, I'll never forget this. The, uh, you know, I knew it was going to be a while. So the owner of the team, Jack Kent Cook, came up to me and he said, "Uh, Mark, how's that knee? And I said, well, it's going to be a few weeks. And he looked at me and he said, you'll never play again. And and I never played again. So, and, you know, I, I was bitter for a while because I felt like I could still play. But, you know, as I look back on it now, some ways it was the best thing for me in the sense that it ended my career quickly. Um, you know, I'd been, I'd, I'd played eight years, um, you know, and uh, so I was able to move on quickly. I, I still, I still felt I could play and uh, I wasn't happy with the way my career ended, but uh, it enabled me to get on to other things. And I was fortunate enough, I'd applied to law school. So I was able to start law school the next fall and then uh, worked at the Players Association. So I was involved with the Players Association as an active player. And then, um, you know, working on staff, you know, for almost, you know, almost 10 years and uh, owed an awful lot to, to Gene Upshaw. You know, Gene really gave me my first, my first job, after my career ended. And, uh, I'm really grateful.
1: You get your law degree from Georgetown and then you go to work for the department of justice.
2: You know, I, I, I was a little older. I, I think I started law. So I started law school. Yeah. It was after 30. I got cut by the Redskins the day I turned 30. So I, I also I, I joked that I have a uh, age discrimination. thing. <laughs> my involvement with the players association, I, I really, uh, Came to realize the importance of a, of a law degree. And uh, so, really, uh, really uh, appreciated that. And then, uh, you know, uh, got, after I received my degree, you know, I was 30, 33, 34 years old. Um, you know, I didn't, the thought of going to a big law firm and uh, didn't really make a lot of sense to me. And, but the opportunity to go for the justice, to work for the Justice Department. The trade-off is when you work for the justice department or any government attorney position, uh, you have, you have less, you make less money, but you have a lot more responsibility. And I I loved it. I was in court all the time. uh, Great experience for me. I mean, I don't, the skills that I developed, I, I think I use a little bit now, but it was really something that I enjoyed. And if it wasn't for, the opportunity to get back into athletics uh, that Colgate presented to me, you know, I, I probably would have continued to work at the justice department for quite a while. And, but who knows? Um, but it was really uh, invaluable training. for me.
1: You spend time at, at Colgate at your alma mater, then you get recruited to Northwestern.
2: You know, as, as it's funny, you know, when you're in my position that I'm in now, you know, you, you really, you realize how these, these searches. And, and as I look back on it, um, I really am appreciative of the people that gave me chances. You know, for instance, Neil Gerboy, who was the president at Colgate at the time, um, you know, I had no experience as an athletic director, never worked on a campus and, you know, him being willing to give me an opportunity to be an athletic director. Uh, really, really very appreciative of that. I mean, I was at Colgate you know, twelve years. So that I had a long run there. Really enjoyed it. Um and, you know, my wife Laurie uh, also is a Colgate graduate. So we really loved uh being back in uh, Hamilton where Colgate's located. And that was really a key time. We had four young children at the time. So, you know, being able to raise them in a small a small town college town environment uh was was something that was really attractive to us and, and the kids they to this day you know they talk about you know how much they loved Hamilton and you know they had the run of the athletic facilities I mean, they'd go, we'd go into the field house and they'd be jumping on the uh, jumping the pits for the, the for the different parts of the track team and uh they were always at the sidelines in the football games and i, I was I wasn't really looking to leave colgate um we were happy there, but I, I do think. Jed, you know, after a while, after twelve years, felt like I'd done as much as I could do at Colgate, and yeah, the other thing, Colgate, uh, I love it. It's a great school, but it it's a struggle for the athletic director there because there's um, not the type of support for athletics that uh, you would think. In the sense that I always felt that I had to justify that our Justify distance, particularly at the Division One level, and so after a while, that kind of wore. It, it tended to wear you down, and um, you know. So the opportunity at Northwestern um, was really exciting. Um, you know, wasn't wasn't really sure how strong a candidate I would be. Um, you know, and again, you know, it was a previous connection. Um, Henry Beenan, just one of the best people I've ever worked for, just a brilliant man and a great, great uh, president and, and, and also a very huge fan of uh, athletics. I'll never forget after our first football game when I was there, um, we, we ended up losing a kind of a controversial game and he called me into his office and he was asking me about play calling. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Uh, and the president, I had a president at a Colgate, a, a really nice woman, Jane Pynchon, and, uh, and 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 another president by the name of Buddy Corrales. He he actually uh, he he asked me things like, you know, I don't understand the punt. How does the punt work? Why why do teams punt? And so so I went from one extreme to the other. And uh, but with Henry, Henry had worked. Um, had been in a, a, a leadership position. He wasn't president, but uh, worked at Princeton University. And um, about halfway, or maybe a little less than halfway through my tenure at Colgate, I had interviewed for the uh, AD position at Princeton. And uh, eventually, I just I, I ended up withdrawing. I didn't feel like the timing was right, uh, but I had gotten to know Henry through that search process. And um, and then when he went, obviously went on to become the uh, president of Northwestern, I, I think that connection really was beneficial to me.
1: Well, during during your tenure at Northwestern, I mean, you had really an untimely death of your head football coach right there, and you had to make a tough decision. You hire Pat Fitzgerald, and talk a little bit about how that—that that, I mean—that came out of nowhere.
2: Yeah, that uh, gosh, you know, Randy Walker was his name. That one, he—I mean. Just a great person, had all kinds of personality, and uh, one of the most positive coaches. And Jed, you've been around coaches. I mean, there's some coaches they look at that glass and it's half empty, and right. you know they'll, and, you know, I need this, I need that, I'm never going to win. But you know, I, I loved working with with Randy, and he and I had uh, just uh, negotiated a long term extension. It was just devastating. He ended up having a heart uh, heart attack and, and passed away. And it was right on the eve of the season. And uh, fortunately, during the negotiations with, uh, with Randy, uh, he and I had talked a lot about his staff. Uh, I, he, and it was clear he was very high on Pat Fitzgerald. And I think we had kind of promoted him to a, uh, you know, a coordinator position. Uh, and so then when Randy passed away, I had to move pretty quickly and couldn't really do a, a full search. And the dealings, all the dealings i have had with Pat, I was very impressed with him. I think he was only 31 uh, when when uh, when we promoted him to to head coach. But uh, you know, obviously he's done a great job there, and uh, yeah, I mean he's done uh, amazing things with uh, with the football program. And, and gosh, showing we're, we're showing both our he's in his early 40s now, and uh, been the head coach there I think about 13, 14 years. Yeah, he's. Should-
1: Uh, very successful people continue to try to recruit him and he continues to stay so it says something about being at your alma mater and feeling good about the support
2: well it's a funny funny story Jed Uh, so we're in the middle of a coaching search about a year and a half ago and uh, I think it's a reporter from ESPN says the perfect person for the Packers head coaching job is Pat Fitzgerald and uh, and that person that wrote that had, had no idea that there I had a connection with Pat. Really, speculating <laughs> that. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love Pat, and uh, but you know, I think it's going to be hard for anybody to get him away from work. He's got such roots there, and uh, has done such a such an outstanding job. The other thing, you know, he's he's got a very uh, he's got a very long contract that uh, is very very good for uh, for Pat.
1: Yeah, that's, that's that's then. You're talking about uh, connections and opportunities. I remember the first time you and I met, and Jim Delaney had invited me to come out to the Fiesta Bowl um, gathering, and I talked about diversity hiring and so forth with with uh, diversity candidates. You and, I, you and I had dinner together that night, and um, I don't know if you remember that dinner, but that was the first chance I had to meet you, and then. You know, we were fortunate enough to get the search to do the CEO uh, of the Packers and, um, you know, had a chance to call you and we grabbed a a, a lunch, I think, at a, at a place near Northwestern and the rest is history. I mean, it turned out that, uh, you know, the, the Pete Platten and the group really said, hey, you're, you're the person that they wanted to take the realms and, and, and lead the organization.
2: First, Jed, thank you. <laughs> and, but I do remember that dinner. And uh, yeah, and I think um uh, you and I hit it off. I think, you know, the no kind of the common background was uh experience in the NFL. Um and yeah, I remember when you called and said, you know, I'm doing the search for the Packers and uh and I'm thinking to myself, well, that's a long shot. That's not gonna happen. Yeah, so I, I appreciate uh, very appreciative that you saw something in me that uh you thought would be uh, make me an attractive candidate for. Uh, well, you
1: band. had, you had their criteria. They wanted, you had an NFL background, the law degree, you'd been a player, you'd won a Super Bowl, uh, And you'd worked with the players association. So, I mean, you had, you had the right ingredients plus your personality, Fickering Bay. I mean, you know, seeing you in operation today and the way you navigate the fans respond to everybody that calls. I mean, it, it's remarkable. I mean, you you got that job and you were playing um the Giants for that first year and, and your son was up, my son was up, and um uh, the way you, you integrated so early with with the different fans coming up and shaking your hand. I mean, you just kind of melded right into the culture and the environment. I mean, it was just kind of a beautiful thing to watch happen and how you've grown in the role and how you've really um taken this unique structure. Talk a little bit about what makes the structure of the Packers different than the other NFL teams?
2: Yeah, no, it's, you're, you're right. It's, it's, it's really unlike anything in all of professional sports. I mean, the only thing that's the close, closest to it, there's a couple of CFL teams that have similar uh, structures, but we're owned by, by our fans uh, by, um, you know, and uh, yeah, it's community owned and it's really more, it's more like a university with a board of uh, board of trustees. Um, we've got a board of directors of 45. And then there's an executive committee of seven, including myself. And uh, so there's not an individual owner. Uh, my wife, uh, Laurie, calls me a phoner, F-A-U-X owner. <laughs> it's a, it's just a, I'm an owner without the money. But I, I do, I represent the Packers at um, the, the owner's meetings. And uh, but I, I tell you it's it's worked well. You know there's advantages and disadvantages to everything. But I think big advantage we have is I think and so we've got three hundred and eighty thousand shareholders, and because of that ownership interest, they have a much stronger tie to the team than fans of most other teams. And you know the other thing that makes Green, Green Bay unique is you know this, we're this small little town. I mean you know we're by far the smallest, uh, smallest NFL team uh, or smallest city that hosts an NFL team, not even close. And, uh, I think, I think that really resonates not, not only with people in Wisconsin, uh, but we have, we've got fans all over the country. We started an organization called Packers everywhere. And we've got Packers bars where people can go and watch games with other Packer fans all over the, the world. And, uh, it's, it's really pretty amazing to see. And, um, yeah. And, you know, we're really the other thing we have been the state's team. You know, we used to play games in Milwaukee, uh, stopped that in like the early nineties, but we still have season ticket packages, uh, for our Milwaukee fans and Green Bay fans. So we, uh, our fans come from all over, uh, all over the country and, and certainly the state. And, uh, they, they, they are rabbit and uh, it, it's exciting to see and the other thing that's unique i think is our stadium lambeau field you know it's uh i think it's the Sol- soldier field is older but that's been completely renovated and started over so ours is you know, it was built in uh, 1957 and uh, we we've invested a lot of money in it over the years and it's really held up well and it's it's on the bucket list for a lot of fans to be able to watch a game in Lambeau Field. The nice thing about it is, I think, if, if, especially if you sit in our seating bowl, you're having the same experience that fans did when they watched Vince Lombardi coach.
1: You've taken that, Mark, and you, you really expanded it in terms of what you've done with the Hall of Fame, in terms of what you've done with real estate and the hotel and, and things adjacent to uh, the stadium. Talk a little bit about that because that's in terms of the strategy and, and the strategic implementation of taking the brand and expanding the brand to have even more value. I mean, it, it's
2: yeah, the no, there's no question. Well, the other thing we've done, we've expanded the stadium. You know, where we added about eight thousand seats uh, a number of years ago. Uh, so we're now the, you know, even though we're in by far the smallest uh, city in the league, we've got the second largest stadium in the NFL. So we see over eighty-two thousand. But what we've looked at um, is land around our stadium is really valuable. And so pretty early in my tenure, and and actually before me, they had started doing purchasing some, but we purchased a lot of land around the stadium with the idea of uh, development and really trying to make Green Bay not an attraction. Now, and there was a major renovation. We've done a number of different renovations to Lambeau. So Lambeau now, I mean, when I played here in the early 80s, um, it was just, you know, it was basically a normal stadium, and it was used 10 times a year. Now, if you come to Lambeau Field, uh, and as you mentioned, you know, we've got a Hall of Fame, we've got a pro shop, we've got a restaurant, uh, we have tours, uh, it's open year round, we've got all kinds of meeting space and conference space, but what we've done with the uh, development around the stadium, and we call it development title town is really to build on that. So now, you know, maybe people come and they go to Green Bay, they're going to stay in Green Bay, not just for the game, but they're going to stay for three or four days around it. And, uh, you know, we started off with the first, and, and all of it, the great thing about it, it's almost all uh, Wisconsin companies. Uh, we, uh, we have a, a brewery, restaurant a brewery, uh, Hinterland was really popular in downtown Green Bay, and it kind of outgrown their space. Uh, our Bell and Health, we've got a, a, a sports and medicine orthopedic clinic. Uh, that's been very popular. And then we have a great partnership with Kohler. In Lodge Kohler uh, built a hotel uh, adjacent to the stadium. And then, uh, so Town Development, we're continuing to expand it. Um, it's about 45 acres. The other thing that's unique about it, there's a full football field right in the middle of it. And most developers wouldn't do that, Chad, but uh, right. so, but it's great. It's great. You know, especially on game weekends, it's packed with people just out running around and throwing the football around. Uh, we also have a tubing hill. So, uh, and so we've got a skating trail and a tubing hill. We, we, uh, talk to them focus groups and we, we asked things, what kind of things would you like to see, uh, in the title town development? And one of the things that kept coming back was it's awful cold and the winters are long in green Bay. You could do something that would keep us outside and active in the winter. uh, We would really like it. So that was kind of the, that was uh, the the roots for uh, not only the skating trail, but the, uh, the tubing hill. And uh, the other thing we're excited about is our partnership with Microsoft. It's called Titletown tech. And uh, that could be one of the, Really, if you look at the impact on Green Bay, uh, partnering with a company like Microsoft and uh, so Town Tech, we, it's a number of different things. But it's really we're investing in startup companies, and um, you know we've had a lot of success. Uh, we've got about a 25 million dollar venture capital venture capital fund that, uh, num- along with Microsoft, we've uh, helped to fund it, and we're starting to invest in in companies. And uh, the other thing is. Uh, We want really companies that will be based in Wisconsin, so trying to help uh, help the economy long term. And then you haven't been out here in a a while, Jed, but we've got uh, construction going on. We're building 50 to 70 townhouses. Uh, We've got a six-story office tower. We joke that only in Green Bay is uh, six stories qualifies as a tower, (laughs) 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 but it is a tower in in Green Bay. You know, we want Tidal Town to be. Man, uh, something, a place where, you know, you can live, I think we say live, eat, and play. So there's a lot of different things. It's really, really been well-received by the community.
1: One of the dynamics about your job is that there are only about four or five in professional sports where you have both the business and, and, the, and the football reporting to you. And when you first came in, you know, Teddy Thompson was your general manager reporting to you. And you had a, you had a famous quarterback. And and Brett, you know, would notoriously hold out on whether or not he was going to play, not play. And finally, you and Teddy made the decision to promote uh, Aaron to the to the number one spot. So that had to be a tough decision that you two made. Talk a little bit about how you two bonded as a result of that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's a great question. Yeah, you know, that was very early in my tenure. It was. uh so, yeah, so I started at the end of the uh, 2007 season. You know, as you said, uh, Favre took us to the NFC Championship game, uh, lost in overtime to, to the Giants. So uh, And then February, uh, Favre retires. And so, um, you know, and it was a heartfelt uh, retirement ceremony. He was in tears. And so we, uh, we move forward. We installed Aaron Rodgers as our starting quarterback. And then uh, in June, uh, Ted got a call from uh, from from Brett, and he said that he, he had an itch. <laughs> I'm not really sure what he meant, but what he ended up what he meant was he had an itch and he wanted to play again. And uh, so that that got to be pretty crazy in June and July. And uh, eventually, you know, we really said, listen, we made a commitment to Aaron. He's our quarterback. And uh, we ended up trading him to the Jets, and um, so that that was a really difficult time. It split the it split the organization. The good thing, though, is uh, Ted Thompson uh, and I, early in my tenure as president, really forced Ted and I to work very closely together, as well as Mike McCarthy. Mike was key in in that in that as well, and um, yeah, we 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 all felt very strongly that Aaron was our quarterback. And, you know, the one thing I, I have learned through that, Jed, that whole process, is if you're going to you're gonna replace a Hall of Fame legendary quarterback, it's really good to replace him with a Hall of Fame legendary quarterback. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so no he, doubt. But we didn't, at the time, we didn't know. I mean, we, we thought Aaron was good, but uh, there really, he hadn't had a lot of experience, hadn't done had a lot of playing time. Ted, particularly, it was a leap of faith. And, you know, that first year, uh, we ended up, you know, I think we were 6-10, and didn't make the playoffs, but uh, Aaron ended up playing really well at the end of the year. And then, you know, the the next year, we made the playoffs, uh, losing a heartbreaker, a crazy game against the Cardinals. And then, you know, in 2010, we won the Super Bowl. And then, you know, we had a great run. I think we were in the playoffs eight years in a row. So
1: then... You, you had to make a, a tough choice uh, McCarthy wants his contract renewed and you make a decision ted's stepping down and you're going to make a a structural change in the re, in the reporting in the organization talk a little bit about that
2: yeah and well you know it's um, it, it, the the structure you know you can, the structure is one thing but it's a lot of it's about people and how are people going to communicate and, and work together and the structure that had been in place when Ted was, uh, and it actually goes back to when Ron Wolf was the uh, was the GM, was that uh, the GM had all the football reporting to him, and um, he reported up uh, to to the president, uh, Bob Harlan, and then me. And um, as as I went through the search process and thought about it, really felt very good about Brian Gutenkunst. but. You know, he, it, he hadn't been a GM before, um, really made a lot of sense to me to take a little bit off of his plate. And so what we did, and, and Jed, I think you know this, about half of the teams in the league have a structure where um, the the head coach and the GM both report to either the owner or the president. Yes. And so that that's the structure that we moved to. Um, I think it uh, one of the benefits that I saw – that i've seen is i think it's improved the communication between the, the head coach and the and the gm so whereas in the past uh you know it was basically you know the supervisor <laughs> supervisor and uh, the coach reporting to the gm now there uh is more almost more of a partnership so i you know but it's again it's it's people and i i give a lot of credit uh to, to Brian, who's done a great job as a general manager, and I think particularly now, you know, that we had a, a, a new new head coach last year, and Matt Lafleur. You know, I think uh, he he and uh, he and Brian have really established a good working relationship.
1: Well, I think also it takes advantage of your uh, experience in football. You being part of it now, rather than you just being cast in one in one spot, it utilizes to me. your broad sets of skills that were developed as a player working for the union
2: and so forth. So I think, you know, as, as you look at the structure, the best experience that I had for that uh, is as an athletic director, you know, when, you know, in terms of hiring, uh, you know, obviously football coaches, but really, you know, as an athletic director, you know, you're, uh, you're supervising all different types of coaches, uh, broad spectrum, you know, especially a school like Colgate, I think we had 25 varsity sports. So, um, yeah, I dealt with a lot of coaches
1: <laughs> and, oh, no.
2: uh, and hired and fired some. And, uh, but but uh, looking back on it, it, was really a good experience.
1: Which you had to do again, take a Super Bowl winning coach, let him go and then engineer a search process that brought in a really a young person untested that has had a,
2: a remarkable rookie year. Yeah, no, I I tell you, I I couldn't be more pleased with with that. You know, to come in, uh, you know, get us to the NFC Championship game, uh, thirteen and three record. I think it's the biggest. We went from six wins to thirteen. I think that's in one year the the biggest improvement the Packers uh, have ever made. So he obviously did a lot of really good things. And you know, again, I think all the credit goes to Matt. And then um, I think, particularly, uh, the working relationship that he's established with Brian, you you can see it's really, really working well. You know, the other thing I would say, Jed, I I didn't mention it, but we have an executive vice president of football, a man named uh, Russ Ball, very respected across the league, uh, has a lot, a lot of experience. He was a candidate for the GM position, and. I have to give him a lot of credit um so i, I you know even though he didn't get the job he wanted um uh, I was able to to keep him and put him in a you know a, a very important role for us uh, and he's he's really very helpful uh to me uh, but also to to matt and brian and so those those are the the four of us work together and we meet on a regular basis and uh, so it's, it's really uh, really working well. Uh, and I'll tell you this, Jed, the yeah, a pandemic really tests your ability to communicate.
1: No, I was just going to get into the pandemic in terms of how that's affected the communication in the organization, and what your thoughts are about how things are going with negotiation with the players' association, and your thoughts about the season.
2: Well, yeah, it's uh, certainly unprecedented you know, what we're dealing with. Uh, first of all, in terms of communication. Um, yeah, it, it it's more difficult, and uh, I and we we tell each other. I mean, you know what you miss is, you know, walking down the halls and popping into somebody's office and just talking to them. And, uh, you know, we were we've just started getting back into the facility about a little over a month ago, but for a long time we were all virtual, and you know you can call people, and uh, you know we have a ton of Zoom calls, but I, I do think you miss that so we really put an emphasis on let's make sure that we're over-communicating and you know, doing everything we can to make sure that we're, uh, we're all in touch with each other. And, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. You know, you ask about the Players Association. We went through a really, a really difficult negotiation, collective bargaining agreement, almost, you know, almost a year. It's in February, we just we barely got enough votes to get it through. And here we are, Jed, thinking we've got, you know, 11 years of labor piece, got a year left on a contract and then a 10-year extension, and then, and then COVID-19 hits. <laughs> it, uh, But, you know, I think uh, I think the process, and we've really been working well with the Players Association uh, over uh, over the past year and resulted in the collective bargaining agreement. I think that is, has helped us because now we're – you know, we're we're dealing with some really challenging issues, you know, the safety of our players, economic impact, you know, and I think there's a good, there's a likelihood that, you know, our, you know, we're, we're not going to have the attendance that we've had in the past going to be significantly reduced. So it's, uh, it's going to be a challenge for all of us and, and working well and together with the player association is going to be crucial.
1: The other piece, I mean... Who would have imagined that our dinner on the 28th of February at Saint Elmo's, that all these things would have unfolded—the pandemic, and then the, the brutal murdering of, of George Floyd. I mean, it's just incredible that they, I, I think the two dinners that stand out in my mind that we had together—the one in Arizona and the one at Saint Elmo's. I mean, and all the things that have transpired in the last, you know, four months—it's been.
2: No, I know you you know the, you think think of what happened. you know just a week or two after uh the combine just things blew up i i I haven't, I haven't been on a plane since then. Have you, Jen
1: uh i I was on a plane with my son because we had to go out to P3 for his training for a week, and then oh, everything okay. shut down that Thursday, and we flew back to Florida. We got home, he was there a week, and then we came up to western p a We've been up here until he went back to school for three and a half months, just mm. getting out here in uh, in our area. With the social unrest piece, though, Mark, in terms of your players, in terms of you, the organization, how, how have you responded? And what do you think the players' roles are in this?
2: Yeah, well, we, we've responded. And, and, you know, this, uh, although this is certainly, I, I think, uh, if you remember, a couple of years ago, we had uh, the National Anthem issues. Yes. Um so and and you know, we were very supportive of the players. And you know, we let players know, you know, we're very supportive of your right to peacefully protest. One of the things we have said to our players is <clears throat> we don't want this to be divisive. And whatever you do, let's do it together as a team. And uh you know, I don't know if you saw our, our players and white and black uh working together uh came up with a video uh, that really, uh, really was pretty powerful. So I was really proud of them. And then uh, we wanted that to be the first thing from the organization. And then uh, I made a statement uh, kind of following that up. But um, no, I, you know, I, and part of it is, I think my background, you know, having played in the league, I, I, I have great appreciation uh, for our players. Um, we used to joke when I was playing, it's, it's an easy way to make a tough living. And, it, uh, it's, it's not an easy, it's not an easy career at all. Uh, careers are short. Uh, injury rate is very high. And, um, and, you know, the other thing obviously, Jed is, you know, 70% of our players are African-American and, you know, they, they've dealt with this. I mean, it's, um, uh, they've lived it, uh, you know, for a long time. And, Uh, You know, and I, I I really sense that things are different now than they were uh, two, three years ago. Um, You know, I think that, and and you're seeing you're seeing changes. I think you know whether it's statues coming down or, um, you know, I think the time is in. You know, uh, my old team, the Redskins. You know, the I think the time is it's different and the time is right, and uh, I'm hopeful that uh, we can really make some. Permanent positive changes uh, for for our society and, but certainly for our players. So, Mark, you've
1: been on both ends of the Super Bowl as a player and as a CEO. I mean, what are the two or three things that you think are really essential for an organization to have to to really p- compete and, and to win a Super Bowl?
2: Yeah, um, you know, obviously, you have to have a certain yeah. level of players to to, to play well, but uh, I think. You know the strong management. You know, and and uh, and I think consistent management. You know, and you see this in the league, Jack. Um, You know, if there's certain certain teams that they just get into a pattern, and every other year they're either fi- firing the GM or the head coach, and they're always starting over. And so I think uh, you know, having having some consistency is uh, is really important. Um, and you know i i think it gets back to communication throughout the organization leadership um and and having really good working relationships between your top uh, your top leaders in within football and I, and i think also a, a good relationship between the business and the football side so that um, when you when you see it and you know i i've got great respect for a lot of organizations and you know i think uh, for me the the steelers uh, are one that I've always kind of put up as a shining example, just the, the way they treat people uh, and the culture of the organization. That's something that, uh, that we try to do as well. And, you know, and uh, I think Mike McCarthy used to say it and it had, it had as well Is yeah, you know, we have to make tough decisions on our players, but we want to, we, we, we try to make those decisions as though the, they were our sons and how would we want our son to be treated? And so, yes, we got to cut cut players, but uh, you know, always explain to them and talk to them, and uh, and, and and make sure you're you're treating them uh, in, in a fair manner.
1: I think the other thing that is taking place is that players are asserting themselves more. Some not wanting to be extended, looking to be traded. There's much more. There's more of that going on now than ever before.
2: Well, certainly on more than when I was playing. <laughs> the players didn't have, we didn't have a lot of rights back then, but. No, no, right. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, uh, you know, as I said, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's not an easy, uh, easy job, you know, the, the pressure and the injuries and, you know, and I, I don't, uh yeah, you know, I, I don't hold it against players for trying to get as much as they can. And
1: uh, I really appreciate you, you taking time. I mean, your st- steady hand, I mean, you're always focused on what's best for your organization. I think you've been a role model, you know, for professional athletes, for athletic directors. I mean, it was the first time an AD ever moved into an NFL role like you did. So in terms of the breadth of what you've done and how you've done it and, and how strategic and competitive you've been, I mean, it, it's a pleasure to
2: have you and, and talk with you today. So thank you. Thank you, Jed. My pleasure.